Father, we love you this morning and we thank you. You are the one who chose to die on the cross. God, you're the one who looks and you never leave the one behind. Father, we're so thankful for your love for us. We're so thankful that you chose, God, to send your one and only son to this earth to be our savior, to be a light in the darkness, God, to to save us. And we're so thankful for that. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence. And God, we just ask this morning that you speak to us through your word. God, have your way in our hearts this morning. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much for practicing and getting ready for today. Great talent to be able to lead us in worship. Do you see the LSD lights on? Amen. Hallelujah. I can see you. I have not been able to see you for a long time. And I can see my Bible today, which is really good. So if there's been some things taught that maybe not ought to have been taught, it's because I couldn't see the Bible. Now there's no excuses. Yeah, that looks really, really good. Let's put up our uh, Christmas offering for missions that we've got going on. These are our goals. The total goal package is 35000 And you can either give directly to the whole thing or you can give to individual needs that we have. We have a $10,000 goal for our work in Cambodia, six for Peru, three for Portugal, two for the IMB. And you can go through there and see what we need in local area, North American, Vancouver, 3,500. And you can go through there and look at all these and see what you can give to. A little snack stacks is where we give uh, a snack sacks hard deal there, to uh, the kids that may or may not have food for the weekends. And so we we do that ministry through our school work here. Uh, Young Life, a thousand. Uh, Beautiful Feet, a thousand. A Refugee Work, a thousand. Elizabeth's Voice, a thousand. Grace House, a thousand. Jake, Rachel, a thousand there. You saw Jake today. We'll be good to get, we'll get, try to get Rachel to do one. We'd like to see Rachel's home. And then we have Haiti Work and Parker County Center of Hope. And so all that adds up to 35000 Now, Cody said we're going to be on fixing up our uh, long-needed uh, youth building to get it up to good shape. And we'll work on that after the first of the year. But first, we need to get 35000 for these needs, okay? So today is one of those we're going to lock the doors and we're going to take up as many offerings if we have to. So I hope you've got your checkbook or your debit card or something. If not, you'll be here a long time today. You're wondering if I'm joking or not, aren't you? (laughs) Very good. Very good. All right. Let's say together, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. And so this is our second part. We're going to review for just a moment. Beginning in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so we recognize that Satan is indeed smart. We talked last week about whether or not it was a snake or it was Satan speaking or through the snake or however that works. This doesn't really matter. He's the tempter. Jesus said in John 6:44, he's a liar and the father of all lies. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a liar. We're dealing with a scumbag. We, Jesus said that he came to kill, steal, and destroy. 
He doesn't like you. He hates you. He hates all that you stand for in Christ. He is against all that you stand for in Christ. He does not like your family. He is after you and your children and your wife and your husband. He's after you. That's our serpent. That's our adversary. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And of course, we recognize here that Satan is questioning God's word. And that's one of his main strategies is to question God's word. Okay? Did God really say? He questions his word about judgment. He questions his word about Jesus is the only way of salvation. We hear it all the time. He questions his word about judgment to come. He questions his word about the reality of sin, the need for forgiveness. And, and Satan is always questioning God's word and tempting people to question God's word. In verse 2, of course... We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. Now, we understand that we will never, ever be like God, and so the serpent is tempting Adam and Eve here, and, and he's tempting Eve at this, this heart of, God doesn't want you having that tree because he really doesn't want the best for you. And the heart of that is this, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. Don't you see that God doesn't want competition. God doesn't want a rival. God doesn't want anybody eating of that fruit because if they eat the fruit, they'll be like God. And he questions God's love for people. Man, the Satan, this serpent, this scumbag is still doing that today. I mean, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, you wouldn't be going through these hard times that you're going through. That's what Satan wants us to believe. That's what he wants us to have going on. Look at your life. Look at all the problems you have. Look at all the trials. Look at all the struggles that you go through. If, if God loved you, you wouldn't be going through all this. So just walk away from him. Don't give any, any credit to what God has said. And so those are two ways that we see Satan tempting his questioning God's word, and questioning whether or not God loves us. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? 
My, 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 what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And you see here the three basic responses to sin. Hiding from God. Hiding from God. Shame. They were full of shame because who they were is now revealed in their nakedness. And they are blaming others. Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. Just pass the blame right on down. And there's no question, we all understand this, that one of the results of sin is that we refuse to take personal responsibility for our wrong, for our wrongs. Then the Lord begins to set forth the consequences. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, verse 14, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now, we are dealing with a wounded adversary. Now, if you are ever outdoors and you find a wounded animal, be careful. You don't want to mess with a wounded animal. It doesn't matter what kind of animal it is. If that animal's got teeth, you may be the target. You got to be careful. Don't back a wounded animal into a corner. And we have a wounded animal in Satan. The book of Revelation says that one thing that Satan knows is, is Satan knows that his time is running out. So we are dealing with an animal, a creation, an angel that knows that time is running out and he happens to be wounded and he is full of hatred and he is full of trickery and deception and lying and so he is working overtime to destroy. That's what's going on. And he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And so there's going to be hostility between Satan and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, we know that the serpents not have an offspring that fits in here. And so the offspring is unbelievers and the offspring of Eve are believers. And so there is hostility between believers and unbelievers. And, and you understand that. That's clear as day today, isn't it? Think about all the hostility between believers and unbelievers. You can start with things like prayer in public. You can start with the Ten Commandments. You can start with Jesus. You know, in the public world today, they don't want anything mentioned about Jesus. Now, the unbelieving world can present their philosophies and their ideal, ide ideas and their, even their religions. Let's teach kids about Islam, but not Jesus. Let's teach kid all the basic religions of the world, but not this born again Jesus religion that is so horrifying to us. And right there in the middle of that, you can see that there is conflict between believers and unbelievers, and God said it would be there, and it's a consequence of the fall. So when you're going through that battle of great hostility between the believing world and the unbelieving world, recognize that it's going to be there. Don't get too worked up about it. Just fight. 
Just go forward. Just speak faith. Just, just share the truth about things. And, and don't get too personal about those attacks that goes on with all that because it was set in place the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God. There's going to be conflict between believers and unbelievers. Know it going in so you got the right response about it. There's going to be conflict. Jesus says there's going to be conflict in the church. The, the, the tares are going to be planted alongside the wheat. And so it's going to happen in the body of Christ. And so he said, don't root them up. I'll shake that down one day. And so we've got our assignment about the conflict between believers and unbelievers, even inside the church. And then we have the first good news. It says, he, capital H, talking about Jesus, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And we understand he will strike your head being what Jesus will do to Satan. Jesus will strike Satan major, his head, but Satan, he'll, he'll do some striking himself. He will strike Jesus minor, his heel. Now, when Jesus was here in the world, he struggled with Satan. There were, there's two or three direct stories in the, in the gospels about Jesus dealing face to face with Satan. And we know that Satan believed that he won when he put Jesus on the cross. And did he not bruise his heel with that horrible crucifixion? Of course he did. But Jesus struck him on the head, rose three days later, destroying the works of Satan and becoming the final sacrifice for man's sin. He will bruise your head. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so this is the first gospel this is the Christmas message. This is hope. This is joy. This is salvation. Jesus will come in the world. And so at the very first moment of man's great need for salvation and man's great need to be reconciled to the Father because of his sin, when the bad news became a thing, and you see, the bad news was not a thing until Genesis chapter 3. And now the bad news is a thing. We receive the promise of hope, the promise of salvation through Jesus. And then we, now we see a difficult verse to interpret, but we'll look at the different aspects of it. Verse 16, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen... The pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. Ladies, the word of the Lord says that that pain you had when you had your children or that pain that you will have when you have your children and the reason why you'll be screaming epidural, epidural, epidural is because of the fall of man. Now, that gives an interesting question. How much pain did, would Eve have had before the fall? That's in question. Not as much as she has after the fall. In paradise, maybe no pain. Maybe not as much pain. We, we'll have to, you'll just have to deal with that. I don't know. But I do know 
that when you're walking down a hospital and ladies are giving birth in, the, in them rooms, you hear lots of, of complaining and, and crying out. And, and that's why. That's why. Why is that in there? Why did God do that? Well, he did it, and I'm going to explain to you in just a moment, but he did it for our benefit. And you will desire. Now, that word desire, that's a hard word. Now, I'm not sure I'm saying this right, but you don't know either, so I'm going to say it the way I want to. The Hebrew word for desires is teshukah. Now, all those Hebrew scholars struggle about how the word desire should be accurately translated. Now, it says here in the New Living Translation, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And so the New Living Translation translates desire to be against you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. The English Standard Version says, and you will desire your husband. In other words, you're for your husband, but he will rule over you. And so you've got some real interesting possibilities here for the definition or the, the translation of desires. Here are some of the, the, the top possibilities from this scripture. Number one, a woman will desire a husband and marriage despite the pain that comes with having children. Now, you've had that conversation probably in your own family. The, the, you've had, you, when, after you had that first child, you left the hospital and said, I think we're just going to have one. Why, honey? Why are you just going to have one? It hurt too much. I don't want to go through that again. And then, of course, a couple months go by and that little bundle of joy starts to become a bundle of joy and that misery passes away a little bit. And so other kids can come along. Another reason is a woman will desire marriage and she will desire sex despite the intimacy being marred by the husband's rule. The woman will desire marriage and intimacy more than she'll desire her husband, in other words. Oh, my. That means that there's great conflict in marriage. Yep, it sure does. Another possibility is, a wife's own desires are submitted to her husband and he will determine which desire is allowed. Oh man, that the ladies have begun to squirm. I can see you squirming now. You mean to tell me that this scripture means that one of the consequences of the fall of man is I'm going to share with my husband my desires for life, for family, for intimacy, for how wonderful our relationship is going to be, and then I'm going to share it with him, and he's not going to care one iota about it, and all he's going to be concerned with is making sure that he's in charge. Yes, that's what it's saying. Absolutely, that's what it's saying. 
One of your number one issues in all of your family is who's in charge, who's submissive, whose desires are being honored. That's a result of the fall of man. Now, if you say we don't have that problem, you have another problem called lying. Was that Deneen? Yes, sir, Bruce. I see it. God said. But you're, you're thinking that he said something positive here for you. We ain't got to man yet. <laughs> Woo! Another possible thing here is a wife will desire her husband over God. A wife will desire her husband over God. Another possible thing is a wife will desire to control her husband. A wife will desire to control her husband. God's plan is a husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church. The wife respects and honors her husband and is submissive to him. However, before that, Paul said equally Mutually submissive to the Lord. And so in the family, God's design is this. Jesus is the Lord of the family. The man is the head and the lady is that supporting neck. But the man is responsible for the direction of the family. But that is very, very difficult. Because a woman does not know in that fallen state how to control her desires. Now, I know this is true because it says it in the Bible, but I'm going to give you another practical reason why I know this is true. <clears throat> very, very few men have come to see me for talking about getting married and the men are more excited about getting married than the girl. Very, I can't recall one. There may have been one that was pretty close, and I thought he was a girl anyway. So I don't even know if they're together anymore. I kind of doubt it because, boy, they're up against the, up against the eight ball. Yeah. I can't imagine how those worlds collide. But the lady comes in, and most likely, the lady comes in, and when she's talking about the wedding, she's had her a notebook since she was six years old. She has in her notebook what the flower is going to look like, what the napkins are going to look like, what the little candy is going to look like, what the cake is going to look like, what the dress is going to look like. She's got it all together and she's so excited. She's meeting with a wedding coordinator. She's meeting with his mom and her mom. She's going to kind of say yes to the dress and she's doing all that stuff and he's sitting there for there going, I can't believe we got to do all this stuff. And you wonder why we're having so much conflict in marriages today. Because it's built in because of the fall. And those desires that a lady has for how things should be are not well received. 
Now, I just happen to see back here, Barbie and Dennis, how long y'all been married? 43 years. Look how far they're sitting apart. <laughs> Do you see that? You can put two people between them. Now think about it. Barbie's very, very nice. Barbie's a nice, nice lady. Now think about this. Barbie had all these desires about how her life would be, how her family would be. She had desires for, uh, you know, wonderful vacations with the family and how they would sit around the fire at night and they would enjoy each other's fellowship and they would talk about how your day was and there would be nurture going on and, and, and there would be just, just, and she, and look at him. Am I right about that? And she went to Dennis and she said, oh, Dennis, I just, you know, I just think that we would be so good together and all these desires and, and stuff. And Dennis just went, yeah, because Dennis wanted to, to, to be nice with her for other reasons. That's the truth. He said, if I marry her, then every now and then, you know, you know, that's true, right? I mean, I'm going to say it in church because I know it's true. And, and now, 43 years later, they don't even sit next to each other in church. And she's very nice, and he doesn't have a clue about that. And they've been married 43 years. So, here's why the Bible tells us that a lady's going to struggle with childbirth and she's going to have desires that we can't even figure out the right meaning for the word desires because it's so complicated. And maybe it's there to make us realize that a lady's desires are going to be out of control, are going to oftentimes be misplaced. And mo But one thing is for certain, her, her desires will mostly not be understood by her husband. He doesn't get it. He won't get it. So right here, the gospel is there for us. And the way the lady is, Jesus is desperately needed. Families are going to struggle and have problems. Desperately need Jesus. Jesus needs to form those desires. Jesus needs to work in a man's life for intimacy and for listening and for caring and learning to love and learning to be gracious to his wife and, and learning to be respectful to her and, and just learning to be quiet long enough to really be able to hear the Holy Spirit tell him what the real differences are between men and women so they can grow together and survive marriage. And so when the family goes through hard times, when the family goes conflict, one of the values to that is you desperately need Jesus in your heart. That's why it's part of the gospel. 
That's why it's there. It's a sign you need Jesus. He will bruise his head. He, little he, will bruise the heel. You need Jesus. Jesus will come. And we understand that to be the incarnation, the Christmas story. And because of the way things are, because of the consequences of sin, women need Jesus. Need Jesus so they can have their desires nurtured. And they can come to fruition. And those wonderful things that ladies bring to a man's life can be honored. Can be honored. Jesus works at that. And then we see the man. Look at this. And to the man, he said in verse 17, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. Man. God's Word says to us, men, all our life, we will struggle to scratch a living from it. Man, do we not have trouble making a living these days? I'm not talking about how much money you're making. I'm talking about, aren't we having trouble scratching a living from the land today? Now, since we're not much of an agricultural society more, it was written primarily to an agricultural world. And so the last hundred years or so, maybe we don't understand this as much, but before that, every farmer that reads this goes, oh yeah, I, I, I watched my Uncle Bud. I watched my Uncle Bud through the years. I watched him in person as I went to work for him. And, and as, I, as I've heard about him and I've witnessed him, and he's, he's always been real fond of me, and so he always spends a lot of time with me, I have watched him struggle to scratch a living from the land. This couple years ago, I went out and took my dad to see the Alabama folks, and, and I was there, and he said, Leah, take me to see my land. He ain't scared. And I said, what? He said, you go down there and get that John Deere runabout deal and come up here and get me. I want to see my land. He's he not able to farm anymore and, and he, because of his health, because of his back, his legs, his mind. And, and, and he uh, is always tearing up his skin, rubbing his skin, trying to get rid of bow weevils, I think. And so we get on that John Deere, and, and Aunt Jen just couldn't stand for that. She gets in the back of that little thing, and so we take that little runabout around, and, and, and he takes me to the back 100 acres or so that's down below his house there. And he said, Lee, me and my dad, you remember my dad? I said, yes, Uncle Bud, I remember your dad. He said, we cut all these trees down. And you look around there and just thick pine trees everywhere. He said, me and my dad every single day had that two-man saw and we cut all these trees down in this 100 acres right here. And he said, I knew it was going to be productive land. And he said, but it took us a long time. We cut the trees down. We had to get those old mules and pull up all the stumps. And he said, it took several growing seasons before we ever get this land ready to go. And he said, boy, we worked hard down here. Man, it was hard work. And, and, and I remember stories he told me through the years about his very best crop that he ever had was just going to produce a bumper crop. It was going to a great big cotton crop. And, and Camille came in up through Florida and came up on there into that part of the world and rained and rained and rained and destroyed his crop. Now, I remember 
I'd be with him in a truck, and he said, stop here in this field, because I was always driving him around. I was a chauffeur. At 13 years old, I was a chauffeur. And I'd pull over, and he'd get over there in the field, and, and he'd go through there, and he'd put his hands out like this. He'd just kind of go through like the gladiator did with the wheat, you know. And he'd get over there, and he's looking for boll weevils. He'd get down in the, in the ground, and he'd dig, and he's looking for worms and all kinds of stuff that's going to eat those roots. And, and he's always fighting the pestilence. And it was a 24-hour-a-day job. Now, after you get your seed planted and it's not ready to be plowed yet and you're waiting for it to rain good so the seed takes off, he, there wasn't a day he didn't relax. He didn't ever go to the golf course. He'd be in there with his wrenches and fixing the sprayer and fixing the, the disc and the planter and, and the harvester and the picker and all those things. Man, he's always working. Always working. And man, he understands you're always going to struggle to scratch a living for this land by comparison to before the fall of the, of the, of the uh, what, not paradise. Couldn't think of the word. Paradise. Adam just go out and pick a few sweet potatoes. Adam just go get the tomatoes. He'd make the salad. Adam just get over there, and if they wanted some meat, he'd find that meat. That was God's plan. It wasn't a big deal. What you want to eat, eat tonight, honey? Oh, I think I want this, that, and the other. He'd just go down and put a basket in the water and bring up the fish. Simple, easy paradise. Simple, easy paradise. Making a living, no big deal. Making a living didn't cause stress, didn't cause a headache. Easy to make a living. But the fall of man happens, and now it's hard to make a living. And there are consequences in trying to make a living. He says here, and your life will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You are going to have to sweat to have food to eat. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to deal with problems. You're going to have to deal with real issues. You're going to have to deal with sorry clients and horrible bosses and all these things to make a living. And every single day that your life is full of stress and problems is a reminder to you, just like childbirth is to the lady. Problems at work, problems to make a living is a reminder that you need Jesus. And that you will not, you cannot survive life without God's plan of redemption for you. You need Him. And so that's what we're going to go through. And He says, For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Men, think about your struggles. Think about what you deal with all the time. There's a real problem with depression among men today. I hear more and more psychologists and sociologists, people like that saying that, that we're finding out that men are so depressed about their work and their life. Most men hate their job. 
And today I've heard it said that if you can have a job that you enjoy, that you love, you're fortunate. You're blessed because most men hate their job. Why? They ate that fruit. They ate that fruit. Anger is a problem with men today. Isolation is a problem with men today. Men go to work. It's so difficult at work when they come home, they don't want anything to do with anyone. And the sad thing is today, that includes their wife and their kids. There's so much pressure at work and they come home, they just melt down and they're not the dad they need to be and they're not the husband they need to be. Childish men. There's all kinds of, of, of articles now being written about childish men, men that never grow up. A 25-year-old man that cries because the, the, his tire's flat. Or he cries because he can't get enough money for the latest hand gadget for his Xbox game. When I hear that, I say, you've got to be kidding me. That's the girl that got married in that deal. Midlife crisis among men today. Midlife crisis. Sports cars, big wheel trucks, bass boat with a 300 horsepower engine, Harley Davidson, right? Midlife crisis. Life got so hard, they see themselves, they're getting up there, they're about to be 59 years old next week, and they're looking back in their life and going, what in the world has all this been for? I, I, I've been putting money in that 413K or whatever it is. I looked in there this week, and I've got less money in there this week. I had last week. I'm going to be working till I'm 80 years old. What good is this? And he struggles with that, and he begins to question God, and he becomes to doubt God, and he begins to say, my life has not been worth living. And Satan smiles, and God has pain over that. It's a result of the fall. Substance abuse. You hear stories all the time. He used to not drink like this, but as time goes on, you know, it just went from a beer every now and then to a beer every night, and now it's two or three, and then it became four or five, and then that wasn't enough, and then he got on the hard stuff. He's going to two or three bottles a week of the hard stuff. What's he doing? Killing the pain of having to make a living and struggling and scratching a living out of the ground. A result of the fall. Boredom is a problem with men today. Getting bored. A lack of intimacy. Men don't listen to their wives and the wives has all these desires and the man doesn't understand why she is so... So feels so unloved and uncared for. Well, it's because the man is a boy. And he hadn't grown up. Pornography is a problem more than it's ever been. It's so easy to get. And it just robs people's minds. And it robs their intimacy with their wife. And it, and it controls Lack of meaning in work, idolatry, obsessions. 
Obsessions with hobbies that take time away from their family. You see, the fall of the man says that all his life, he's going to struggle to scratch a living from that land and it's going to have consequences on his soul. Desperately need Jesus. I work, Pastor. I work five days a week. I put in 60 hours a week. I have to work many Saturdays. Sunday is my only day for me. I don't have time in my life for God. They're being whipped by struggling to make a living. Men, don't let Satan whip you. Don't let Satan deceive you. Don't let Satan trick you into believing that your life is miserable, defeated, no good because of the struggle you are going through to make a living. Now, if you're struggling to make the living because the woman's desires are out of control and she's spending too much money and all you can do is work harder and harder and so you're getting more and more frustrated, you need to sit down and love her and listen to her desires and, and let her know that you love her and that you're with her. And I guarantee you, when she hears the struggle you're having to make a living for her, she'll come right around for you. But if she doesn't think you love her, the desires are going to be in control. Did you know that? Now, all this conversation that goes on in this world today about submissiveness, when a lady knows that she is loved unconditionally and she is nurtured and cared for and she knows that she is the apple of her husband's eye, he don't look around, he's not concerned with anybody else, he, when he comes home, it's laser beam on her and she feels pursued, she feels loved, she feels nurtured, and she knows without a question, that crazy man loves me. She'll run through the wall to be submissive, to be loved, to honor you, and be who you need your wife to be. But guys, if you're whipped by struggling to scratch out a living, It's going to be hard, and there's going to be conflict, and there's going to be statistics. We have lots of problems in our world, don't we? We have lots of problems within the family. We have lots of conflict within the family. God said it was going to be there because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. So, the answer is Jesus. Jesus. Men, do you know Christ? Have you surrendered to him? Does he have your heart? Are you living for him? Have you surrendered all that you are? Have you admitted you're wrong about your sin? 
Have you confessed your sin to Him and says, God, I desperately need you. Be born again. Be born again. Don't let the consequences of the fall destroy your life. Ladies, don't let misplaced desires cause conflict and struggle in your family, in your life. Have you been born again? Have you surrendered to Christ? Have you given up and given in to Him? Have you laid it all down and said, Jesus, I'm yours, and confessed your sin before Him and, and believed in Him and said, I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. You see, the answer to family conflict is He who will knock Him on the head. Jesus. Jesus. Let the Spirit speak to your heart. Father, I pray, God, that Your will be done. I pray that we will learn from these consequences that the Eve and all the ladies experience, that Adam and all the men experience. Lord, I think it's clear that probably the different intensities and different levels, each one of these issues is real for each one of us here today. May we surrender to you completely. May we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of all and he's our Lord of all. And we believe and we trust and we follow. Father, I pray your spirit will work this morning, rest this day, this week. And I pray, Father, that you will guide people to the right walk with you, the right understanding with you, right relation with you. Thank you that grace goes down to every depth and forgiveness is available to all and that your love for us is unquestionable. God, when Satan begins to question you and question you to us and begins to question your love for us and what your word has said, Help us to be able to see the difference between his lias temptations and your truth, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Come forward.